Our scripture lesson today comes from the letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Let's share God's good word together. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Love never ends. Think about that. Love never ends. Whatever love you put into the world, it's everlasting. It goes on and on and on, and actually it multiplies. It moves through one person, then to another and to another. It can be as as simple as recognizing someone, giving them a smile, saying hello. And so today we're going to talk about love in action. And and I don't want it to be theoretical. I, I want you to see how this has taken shape in people in our own church. And so I'm going to have some guests come up here in just a moment. But as we look at it, it's almost Christmas. Yes, we are exactly a week away from Christmas Eve. We hope to see you Wednesday or Sunday. And so we come to this Advent. This is a, an interesting year because the fourth Sunday of Advent is also Christmas Eve. It just happened to be um, Christmas Eve on a Sunday this year. And so Advent actually comes from the Latin, and it's the four-week season of preparation for the coming of Jesus at Christmas. And we've been talking. I just wonder how much of our preparation is about the coming of Jesus or the preparation of just what the culture expects us to do. Because they're not the same. Advent, as Eugene Peterson puts it, is the season of expectant waiting. Because we're all really good at waiting. Right? And then we tap into the sense that we have that all is not well. Right? The, the world's not as it should be quite yet. The longing for the world to be made right again. And that's what Jesus comes to do in the world and in our lives. Now, our founder in the Methodist tradition, John Wesley, he preached a sermon in 1741 called the Almost Christian. Will you say Almost Christian with me? Almost Christian. And, and he puts that aside, uh, another term called altogether Christian. Almost Christians are what Billy Graham would call vaccinated Christians. You get just enough to never really get the whole thing. Right? You do just enough to look like a Christian. You get just enough worship or just enough niceness. And you think, well, you know. And then... You, you, you might say to yourself, well, it's not working. I don't, I don't experience the joy and the passion and the depth and the meaning and the purpose that people talk about. Well, you don't if you're an almost Christian, if you're a vaccinated Christian. We're praying that we get the whole thing, amen? We, we want it all. We want everything that God has for us because God is good all the time, right? And all the time? God is good. Now, Wesley used that term almost to describe the Christian who had the outward form of godliness. That's how he said it. But still fell short of that altogether godliness on the inside. Now, what we know around here is that God has given you his spirit and empowered you to do more than just the basics. More than just showing up. Although showing up is important. You can't do much else unless you show up. And so we believe here that God has put extra on your ordinary. And what does that make you? Extraordinary. And he has put super on your natural, which makes you supernatural. You have power that you cannot have without Jesus and the Holy Spirit in your life to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth. Now, it's really important that we get this right, get this straight. At your baptism, 
When you say yes to the Lord, you receive the ability to say yes to the things he calls you to in ways that you could never do in your own power. And it's important that we realize this, that at your baptism and in your growth in, in what our tradition calls sanctification, you can begin to say yes to the things God's calling you to and to say no to the things you know that would bring you or others harm, even things that have been dogging you for years. And so one of the things that God calls us to, not just some, but all, not almost Christians, but all together Christians, all together churches, is that we are to work for peace. And that can be difficult. Now, now I will remind us that peace was the last gift that Jesus gave to his disciples before he left them. It's very important. The scripture says in John 20, when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, what? Peace. With you. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, which were pierced. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. They realized it really was him. And Jesus said to them again, so we didn't miss it, peace be with you. And then we have this really powerful and troubling statement As the Father has sent me, so I send you. That's not just for those people in the room at that time, that's for these people in this room at this time. As the Father sent Jesus, he has also sent you, Jesus says, by his Spirit. And, and to, to prove it, right, it's always show and tell with Jesus. When he had said this, he breathed on them. Ruach, breath, Hebrew for Spirit. He empowered them. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, and when he says this, when we work for peace, it's not merely the absence of tensions. But as Dr. King said it, the presence of justice. Where things are right. You know, like if you justify left or justify right. You're justified. Things are straightened up. The crooked places are made straight, the scripture says. So we work for peace. We also wait with hope. We don't wait just to wait. Right? That would be silly. And if you all just waited for nothing? No. I mean, if somebody goes into the store in this season, you wait expecting that they will come out. And they do after a day or two, it feels like. Right? But when we come to hope, we have to know what we're hoping for. Or what we're hoping in. Because there's a difference between almost hope and altogether hope, Dr. Grell taught us. Right? So, Reverend Ingrid McIntyre said like this, Hope, the real thing, breaks into seemingly strange, unexpected places. In a manger. In a 14-year-old girl. In your own heart. But almost hope stands at a distance. But altogether hope dives in the darkness, bringing light. And we'll say this, of course, on Wednesday and Sunday with the Christmas Eve candlelight service, that darkness can never overcome light. Even the tiniest little light shines in the darkness. And so we come to an altogether love today. Now, again, our our founder, John Wesley, he would say it like this. Without love, nothing can so profit us as to make our lives happy. If you, you don't have love, you have nothing. You don't have anything at all. Love is what remains. Love is the most powerful. Paul goes on to write in the letter, faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is what? Love. It's love. So I want to invite a number of families up here. If you'll grab a stool and come up here, I want to visit a little bit about the ways that God is calling us into ministry, calling us to love the world. Wow, I didn't know you sit together. That's amazing. Way to go. That's really good. So um, I want to introduce these folks to you. Uh, they will be in no particular order. 
um, just will try to fit on the stage. Um, one, the first ministry that I want us to talk about today, um, you'll actually get to participate in today, and that's Angel Wings. Um, that's Doug and April Yarholer. And so, y'all raise your hands so people know. There you are. And so, um, you, you may have noticed some socks and some lotions. We're going to be packing those up for um, some folks, and so you're going to get to um, actually help with that. So, as we get settled in here, you can see um, each group will have a slide uh, that you can kind of see what they do. Um, and, and then, if you'd like to know more about any one of these, they're going to be right out through these doors and to the right, and you can know more about what they do. So, um, I'm going to need the handheld, Sean. Thank you, Megan. And uh, if you'll give that to Doug and April, we, um, we'll start off with you all. Tell us a little bit about Angel Wings. Um, and one of the things that um, I'd invite all of you to think about is that there are lots of, lots of things that people do that are good, but they're not necessarily a calling. They're not necessarily brought to you by God. Right? I mean, a lot of people volunteer just because they volunteer. Um, so as you think about how your ministries came to be, um, you know, how did you know that you were to do that? Or how did you feel called to do that um, that's unique to you? Because each of these ministries is very different um, and unique to each one of you. So, uh, April, if you want to start. Okay, well, we started um, Angel Wings back in 2014. My uh, mother had passed away, and it was a way for um, us to honor her and celebrate um, her birthday. Her birthday is December the 20th. And um, we wanted to also uh, give back to our community. So we did not want uh, her birthday to pass and be a day of sadness. Um, I had experienced several years of that. And around the holidays, that was especially hard. And so I looked at Doug one day and I said, I can't, I can't do this. I can't be sad, you know, around the holidays on her birthday. So what should we do? And he said, I'll do whatever you want me to do. Like, like a good husband. That is a good husband. Like a, you know, yeah. like a good husband. And so... Um, that very first year, it was just me and my family, and we gave back. Um, we went to uh, the hospital, and we gave um, little presents to the nurses as thank yous, and it started out very small. And nine years later, um, we have now served two hospitals, and um, we serve over 500 patients. So we make care packs like this. These are a couple of my mom's favorite items. Um, there's lotion and a cozy sock. And that's special um, to me because I remember sitting by her bedside. She had had a severe stroke, and I remember sitting by her bed and um, rubbing lotion and putting socks on her, you know, and spending that special time with her. So um, we go to the hospital um, every year around her birthday, and we give out these care packs. And now the church has contributed. We've got um, family and friends that help. And we have 250 blankets to give out this year and 500 of these care packs. Um, and also another uh, church member, Mark Turner, he's a veteran, and so he goes now to the VA hospital and serves um, those patients as well. So, Very good. Uh, I do want to point out that one of the things God does all the time is he redeems our pain. Your, your ministry is often the very place of pain. And so uh, we like to say around here that if God can uh, transform the pain of the cross, he can transform anything. And so we celebrate with you the, the transformation uh, that December 20 is now Celebration Day. Right, it and, is. And uh, share that love. Doug, you got anything else as we go on? Uh, I just want to add, and in, in the, the gifts are, you know, if you've ever been in the hospital for a long period of time, um, 
I mean, these are kind of comfort gifts. So, you know, you get kind of the, the, the stock blanket that it's warm when they bring it out to you, but it's, you know, it's, it's not necessarily a, a cozy feeling. Um, and a lot of the patients that we go see, you know, it's kind of awkward the first time. Um, but these are people here through the holidays, through Christmas, uh, for, um, could be two weeks, could be months. They may not have seen, um, any of their family or may not have any family. Uh, and so it's more than just the gift. It's just your presence and, um, you know, even having the little kids around, mm-hmm. uh, just brings happiness to these people. Um, and I think that's probably been the most satisfying part of the experience. Yeah. It was really impressive to me the way you all managed COVID and even were able to bless through that season as well. Um, so you see some of the masks up there. Um, Dr. Grell is leading a, um, really a Bible study, uh, a teaching lesson at 1045 in the chapel. Um, and each week there's a different author uh, about this altogether uh, love that we're talking about. Uh, this week's author is April Casperson. And she writes, an almost love is a love that welcomes only the parts of people that are desirable or palatable or easy to handle. And altogether love is a love that welcomes all. Right, and altogether love is cross-cultural. Right, we want to be an Acts two church where every tribe, every nation, we're made up of all of God's people, so we can see all of God's love, and countercultural. Uh, we don't expect to be like the rest of the world. We're called to be different, and so an altogether love is cross-cultural and countercultural. So um, I'm going to want to go to Stepping Stone uh, next. I know it's not the exact order. Uh, you all know Megan um, from our children's director, but you may not know Nick. And so um, we're thrilled to have you all. And uh, before we get into their deal, I just want to say thank you to Nick. Uh, one, it's not easy being a staff person's uh, spouse, uh, as uh, it's just not. And uh, the other thing is that he works each and every week with our young people, and they love, love, love him. Um, so we always say, like, well, who would you like to? Nick! And so that, that's, that's how that is. So uh, let us know a little bit about what y'all are doing. So uh, Megan and I started the Stepping Stone Foundation back in 2018. Um, We didn't just kind of come up with it out of the blue. It's kind of just an evolution of things that got us there. Actually started in this building with MOPS, which is a ministry for mothers of preschoolers, right? I didn't go, so I don't know. But but, uh, Megan was part of that, and then her and Lily Hunter um, actually went down to Emerson Alternative High School down in Oklahoma City, and they started a MOPS program down there where they got to talk to the teen parents that were still in high school. Um, and Megan got to know those kids pretty well, and when one of them graduated, uh, she had some financial burdens that she wanted to, uh, had spoke to Megan about, and so she came to me and said, you know, could we help this girl sponsor her, help her pay for her schooling, and I was like, yeah, great, great idea, um, and so that kind of evolved, and that's what initially what Stepping Stone Foundation was, was just scholarships to these teen parents, um, and what we learned is that these teen kids have different um, obstacles and burdens in their lives that we didn't experience. And so we kind of had to figure out what was the best way to support them. Uh, we met with the Oklahoma City Public Schools counselors, some of their leadership, and kind of asked them how we could get involved and help. And what we learned is at the alternative high school specifically, uh, they're really focused on making sure those kids go to class, get their degree, and really anything above or beyond that, you know, is kind of just not what they're focused on. And so that's where we came in. And so we meet with them monthly now. Um, we go down and we talk about things like this is what the job market looks like. This is how you open a bank account. Uh, this is how you fill out a FAFSA form. 
kind of the stuff that counselors don't have time to get with them on. Um, so we meet with them once a month, get to know them, and then when they do graduate, then we still give them some scholarships. So they each get $1,500 a semester as long as they stay enrolled and keep their grades up. Awesome. Megan, you got anything else you want to say? Um, no, it's been neat to watch the um, transformation of this foundation, starting with just um, a passion for being a mom and knowing how hard it is, and then watching these 16, 17, 18-year-olds um, who are in just a totally different economic um, area than any of us. And um, they're raising babies, and they're trying to finish school or get their GED. And so that's kind of the passion part came from, like, we know how hard it is to be a parent. I can't imagine like high school drama and parenting all rolled up into one. Um, and so, yeah, it just kind of came from a passion for moms and moms' hearts. And um, they're trying to make their family better and um, raise their kids the right way. And they know that the best way to do that is to continue their education. So just supporting them with um, our scholarships, just cash. They can use it for diapers. They can use it, um, you know, a lot of them take the city bus to and from classes. So it pays for um, that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, any way that they um, see best, it's just cash that they can use. And we also give them a um, laptop at the beginning of um, their school. And so any kind of burden, any kind of obstacle that they come to us with, we try to find someone who can, um, who knows about that, who can help them um, and just make their whole experience a little bit better. Awesome. I, I do want to point out that so often people are look, waiting for that Paul experience where, you know, you just get like struck by lightning and God shows you your new world. That's not how it works. Almost never. Um, it, it really is, oh, we're doing mops. It, you know, every ministry starts with a need. It starts with seeing the need and walking into it, not knowing the future, and just walking into it in faith. Um, again, Reverend Casperson uh, would say, God uses normal people in very unexpected and irrational ways. Now, um, I'm not calling you all normal, but um, that, that's for you to decide. Um, but, you know, the, the stories that you're hearing here are not unique in the sense that you have all this uh, extra training, um, but you'll be amazed at how often those line up. Uh, and I wanted to say that as we come into the steam engine uh, with Marcus and Morgan Jones, because this really does come out of your expertise, uh, but you also saw the need. So I'm happy for you all to talk to us about that. So, hi, I'm Morgan Jones. This is my husband, Marcus. Uh, I'm a licensed architect. He's an engineer, um, and the steam engine works with students in elementary and middle school to expose them to science, technology, engineering, arts, and math as a way to help them see a career path. Um, and it really is grown out of me ignoring my calling. When I was in middle school and high school, I had teachers say, oh, you don't want to work with kids. You don't want to be a teacher. Um, and I fell in love with architecture through just like a random thing. Nothing's random, but it felt random at the time. And um, practiced for eight years. I ended up marrying an engineer. All of the other men in our generation are engineers. So like it was going to happen eventually that um, my passion for kids and my desire to help young people um, have a better future, that they would just come together. And through his support, um, after we had our first kiddo and I was working uh, long hours that did not work for us as a family, I just looked at him and said, I feel like I need to do this thing. And he said, you should do this thing. 
Um, so we launched in the fall of 2019, and then I don't know if you know this, there was a pandemic in 2020. Um, so it was a really great time to start something brand new. And you know what I thought was going to be an enrichment program where we started a storefront and invited families to come to us, the pandemic actually turned into a blessing because it forced my team and I um, to really build relationships with community partners. And what we realized was if we were going to reach students who were underrepresented in these technical industries, we were going to have to meet them where they were. And so th through the pandemic, it completely changed our program model. And so now we partner with all of these after-school programs and school districts and go in once a week for 90 minutes to work with groups of 15 students at a time. And through the last four years, we've now grown to work with, depending on the semester, anywhere between 150 and 250 kids a week. And um, we're so excited to see what that's going to mean. Now we've been working with some of these students all the way up through uh, seventh. They'll be in eighth grade next year. Our programs officially ended eighth grade, and we're going to hand them off to their high schools and to their career tech programs and then continue to stay involved in their lives, connecting them to STEM professionals so that they can see what it looks like to work in a STEM industry. Um, because if you don't know anybody in STEM, science, technology, science, technology engineering, or math, um, it's really hard to kind of see yourself in that. So if we can usher them into those programs, provide them with mentors, um, then that's one less barrier to them participating in what could be a future that would change the trajectory of their whole family. If you can get somebody involved in a career path um, versus you know, gig work or working in a window uh, at a fast food, it can really change the whole trajectory of a family. And in Oklahoma, where um, more than 80% of kids are living in a household that either isn't headed by someone who has um, a college degree they're making less than 35K. That's our average um, income, household income in the state. If you can get them into a career that's making 50, 60, $70,000 with benefits, it will completely change what our state looks like in a couple of generations. And I think our kids here deserve that. Marcus, you got anything else? Yeah, so I get to help a lot of people build things. Um, this has been my joy to watch her do this and run. And so. It's a lot of hard work, and it's not fun, especially in a pandemic, but it has been worth every minute. Thanks. That's awesome. Uh, as a parent of an engineer, um, I know they're just different. <laughs> they, 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 they just are. Uh, they think differently. Um, our favorite story on our youngest is that when he was really sick one day, he came up to Chantel, and he said, Mom, my head is basketballing. <laughs> you know, that, I mean, he's describing exactly what it is. So um, I'm blessing the good work y'all do. Um, Reverend Casperson says, faith is intimately connected to action. And so the next folks uh, I want to share with you uh, are the Parchers here. Um, and their faith and their story um, started um, with, with a vacation. And, uh, and now it's, it's turned into quite something quite different. So tell us a little bit about Pathlight. Yeah, well, to answer your, your question, I think if you, you look at something and it's, um, you feel like it's going to be difficult... Uh, might make you feel uncomfortable, it's not well planned, and yet you feel a great peace about it, that might be a calling right. or a sign of a calling. Yeah. We moved to Belize in 2007, uh, not really knowing what we were going to do, but we knew we wanted to share God's love with people down there. And what we quickly learned was that there's a lot of poverty in Belize. About 50% of the people are living in poverty. And as a result, not many kids have a chance to go to high school. 
In fact, in the, the little village that was near us, less than 10% of those kids raised their hands when we said, how many of you are going to high school? And we thought, man, we, just, we would love to bring some hope to these kids, hope of having some kind of career path and uh, hope of being able to do something other than what their dad did and what their grandfather did, which was basically just try to survive you know, day to day. And um, so we started a sponsorship program, but we wanted to do more than just provide the finances for being able to go to high school. High school is not free in Belize, and it's not located in the rural villages. So these families could not afford the transportation, the books, the tuition, the uniforms. When, when it came time to high school, the kids just didn't go. And so we started this program, but we wanted to do more than just provide the money. We wanted to come alongside these kids. We wanted to share Jesus with them. We wanted to help them grow in their faith wherever, wherever they were in their faith walk. Um, and we, we realized that we needed to provide tutoring. Their, their parents didn't really understand what it's like to even be in high school. Most of them hadn't gone to high school. And uh, so we had to kind of come alongside and tutor and mentor and disciple and uh, just try to do everything we could to help these kids be successful. Adrian? Okay, so we started with 14 students, all from the village that was closest to where we lived in the jungle. And um, it has grown and flourished. And this year, Pathite has 186 students in the sponsorship program, 150 in high school, and 36 in either university or um, vocational school. Um, it's... All of our so it was Mark and I for the first few years. We lived there for three years, and then we spent about a third of our time for the next five years. Over the time, we it, all of the programming is now run by Belizeans, which is fantastic. It's it's sustainable, and and it, it follows their dream for their country. They want to transform the way their country looks and the opportunities that that the children have. Um, another thing besides the sponsorship program that God led us to, and he, he totally just said, here's another opportunity, are you willing to step into it, is um, a teacher training program. I was helping out in the local village schools, just helping the teachers with a few things. I have a, a background in engineering and teaching. <laughs> I, um, and I, um, I found teachers literally grabbing me by the arm and saying, when can you help me do this? When can you help me do this? And I found that in that particular village school at the time, the principal had a college degree. The teachers had only a high school degree, and they were teaching up through eighth grade with no training. So I said, great, I've got friends in California who are master teachers. I'm going to bring them down this summer, and we'll do some workshops for you. So we did that, and now... Our teacher training program works in cooperation with the Ministry of Education in Belize. This year alone, our staff have provided training to over 1,500 teachers. So we're equipping. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's it's amazing how, what God has done, and it's it's such a privilege. I mean, we moved down there literally saying, "Okay, God is calling us to go there, and we're going to live in the jungle." Oh, really? And. Um, yeah, my, my deal was, okay, God, but no big bugs. Guess who won on that one? Um, 
but he's he's grown it into what he wanted it to be. It was not our vision. We just saw an opportunity that he put before us and said, okay, I'll step there. Okay, now I'll step there. And he's been so faithful to grow it and develop it. Thank you. And we get to see it all happen. Yeah. Pass that down to Jessica. Um, one of the things I wanted, um, I asked these folks to come up in this way, uh, partly because um, part, of, part of your story is that you had um, really good, well-paying jobs as engineers in California. And uh, the story as I received it at, at your dinner table is that you basically had enough resources to really travel the whole world. And that's what you had planned to do. Uh, but that the Lord talked to each of you individually, with, and then you were kind of scared to be like, hey, let's cancel the world trip and actually be missionaries. Um, but, but it was confirmed yes. through one another. Um, and I wanted you all to be able to see that, that real calling can be confirmed uh, through people that love you and, and know you. Um, and so when we talk about love, whether it's in Belize or whether it's locally, it really is shining a light in the darkness. Uh, that's what we're talking about. Uh, and one of the, uh, the darker times and really hard, hard thing to talk about uh, is suicide uh, and how that uh, just ravages our, our wonderful service um, personnel. So, uh, Jessica, will you share a little bit about your story? Sure. Um, I knew that was going to happen at practice. All right. <laughs> um, okay. So if you see this picture, this is my baby brother. This is Sergeant First Class Zachary Brown. He served proudly in the United States Infantry for 15 years. He saw combat in Iraq, Afghanistan, and South Africa. So I want you to know that he is kind, athletic, smart, um, because I know he wouldn't want to be known for how he passed. So on Mother's Day 2022, um, he lost his life while he was on active duty to suicide. Um, <clears throat> this story ends well, I promise. I have a whole thing out of it. Okay. Um, often in life, we become experts about things we never wanted to know about, and that is what this has given me. It's just been on my brother's... In um, 2009, when he was um, deployed to Iraq, there were 300 people in his unit. My brother was number 10 to pass this way. And since then, last year, we, he's lost another one. So these trends continue. We know that um, our military and active duty lose their lives four times more to suicide than to combat. And to me, that was a problem I just couldn't except getting texts that are like, oh, did you know what happened to so-and-so? So oddly, um, I've, my brother is my best friend, but he's not the first person I lost in my life. Um, my dad died of an asthma attack. I lost my mom as well. So I had this crazy idea that I wanted to be a death doula, which is kind of what pastoral people do, where you sit with people. You know, it didn't creep me out. But I reached out three months after my brother passed, randomly online to this amazing combat veteran, um, Dr. Gwen Galloway Salazar, who is a world-class death doula. And we Zoom twice a month, and she was like, this isn't what you're meant to do. You need to get a PowerPoint together, submit it to the AAS 23, which was this big conference in April last year. So less than a year since my brother passed away. So this is me and Vance up top. He served with my brother. So we flew to Oregon and presented um, innovative ways 
that were needed to prevent these type of losses. Also, since then, last year, I pitched the city of Edmond for a 5K, even though there were some experts in town that were like, don't do this, those things don't make any money. But we made $10,000 for Mission 22, which is a charity that does this work, and David in the back row there ran it for me, so that was awesome. <laughs> and um, I promise, I talk about this all the time, so this is a very odd reaction. I just wanted to say that um, death is a profound teacher, and I wouldn't have wanted this pain and devastation, but my brother really believed in service, so if I can get out there and tell the stories, I promise I deliver hope sometimes, but right now, right now. No. So, yeah, I just... I just want people to know there's nothing in life incapable of redemption. And um, if you suffer with addiction or mental health, uh, there are plenty of people that want to hear your stories and help. So, Yes, and we love you. You're welcome here. Uh, we want to help. So, Jessica, thank you yeah. for being brave and vulnerable and awesome. So, will you show your appreciation to these folks? And now, as if you all don't do enough, grab your stools and go on. <laughs> Keep working. Wherever you can. Um, I do, they, they would not tell you this, uh, but it's important for you to know this um, and for me to share this. Uh, and that is, they don't do any of this instead of helping with the church. They don't do any of this and not give to the church. They give to the church, they serve the church, and then they do this as a calling that came out of their time with us in community. Um, and so it's, it's not an either or. And, and so I hope you'll get to know these folks better. Uh, all of them are awesome families. Um, and, and, and none of this was led by myself or anybody on our staff. This is, these are things that I found out about as pastor just had the joy of getting to know. And I know that there are many more in our uh, congregation that do this sort of thing all the time. Casperson uh, would say again, an altogether love is to experience the mystery. You saw that. The danger, yes and abundant, unexpected life that comes to us in Christ. It's a great adventure. But you don't have to start your own nonprofit to make a difference in the world, to be a game changer, a world changer. And so one of the things our community has been a part of for years and years uh, now is Edmund Mobile Meals. And so uh, Kathy Wallace uh, led that group uh, for a number of years. Uh, our own Andy Gresham um, cooks there. And I, I got a few notes. Um, Andy was, will be happy to talk to you about this stuff, just not up here. Um, so, you know, this is a great example of love shining in the darkness. Um, I've had the great privilege of, of driving uh, routes a couple of times, um, and, you know, it's, it's powerful work. And, and to be fair, um, you know, my greatest fear was that I would ring the doorbell and nobody would answer because they had passed. That's a real thing that happens with mobile meals. For many, they're the only contact they have all week. And um, you would want to know that 100% of Edmund Mobile Meals is privately funded, 100% of it. Uh, they need 17 drivers every Monday through Friday. Um, now, you can volunteer your time to schedule, Andy tells me. And when you want to work, Andy and Glenda, where, where's Andy? Go raise your hands. There you go. Um, so if you want to help, they cook every third Monday and with other Acts 2 members. And so if you want to cook and you know how to cook, see Andy. Um, and then he volunteers every Tuesday. Uh, this is amazing. He goes into the freezer whew, and uh, organizes the freezer, the refrigerator, the dry canned goods, all of that. Uh, and then sometimes they call on him to, just to go shopping for them uh, you know, throughout the week. We need some of this or we need some of that. Um, and then sometimes Edna Mobile Meals gets things they just can't use. And so rather than um, you know, 
they're great stewards of that, is what I want you to know. So Andy actually takes that food that they can't use, and he drives it down to Jesus' house in Oklahoma City um, or to Project 66 here in town. So if you want to know more about Edmund Mobile Meals, see Andy and Glenda uh, or Kathy Wallace, uh, wonderful ministries that we support. I also want to do this this week because pretty much most, if not all, of these ministries at some point receives funding from the Christmas Eve offering. We give first to people who we know and trust, and we know the good work that they do. And so we want to be great stewards of the gifts that you, you give us. And so if you want to give to the mission offering, this is the sort of thing that you are doing. You are changing the world both locally and around the world. Um, we didn't have the water wells up here because you know how awesome that is. We talk about that all the time. Um, but I also wanted you to know what we do right here at home. And as a reminder, Reverend Casperson would say, goodness is stronger than evil. Will you read this with me? Goodness is stronger than evil, and love is stronger than hate. Love is the thing that conquers evil. Love cannot be confined. It cannot be destroyed. It cannot be crushed. It transforms darkness into light. That's what we're about, people. Amen? Amen. Amen. So here's your action step. I want you to ask God to move you in your unique way to serve others this Christmas. It'll be the best thing you do this Christmas. I guarantee it. If you choose to serve someone else, it will be the best blessing to you and to them. And it'll be memorable. And then, um, you know this, um, I just think on Jesus' birthday, we ought to celebrate him and give gifts to him. It just makes sense, doesn't it? And so we we'll invite you to give, uh, you know, tally up what you spent. I know it's more than you meant to. Um, and then give it to make a difference to this sort of thing that changes the world. So we'll, we'll do this at all of our Christmas Eve offerings. If, if you're not going to be around, you can do that today. Just put it in the memo. Let us know. So I invite you to pray with me uh, this closing prayer. Generous God, my way with money is a sure sign of my heart's trust. And when it's mostly spent on me, I show that my heart does not belong to you. Center me again on you, the source of everything good. Remind me of how rich I am because of Jesus and free up a generous heart for others. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, if you'll pray the Lord's Prayer with me. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.